Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you online watching, good morning to you. Maybe you're just listening on the podcast. You are included in this morning's greeting. This Romans chapter 5. That's where we are this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Romans chapter 5. We will stand and we will take verses 1 and then 8 through 10. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Please be seated. Saved by death. How many never consider peace with God or just take it for granted? Just assume God and I are okay, nothing to worry about here. I think it's a good question to ask folks, um, certainly not someone you know to be born again. Uh, but here in this fifth chapter are some of the most profound words on salvation given to man. When I think of Paul's letter to the Romans, I tend to almost, as much as I can recall, immediately think of Romans 5, verses 1 and verse 8. Peace with God, demonstrated love while still a sinner. Uh, it just are profound thoughts that, that come through Paul given to him by God. Looking at the first verse, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to give this a contextual interpretive rendering, we were just singing about justified. Uh, what does that mean? Well, the Greek is acquitted, and the, the, the meaning is salvation. It has to do with salvation. So, if we understand it, Paul, in this first verse, is joining this first verse with what he had previously said in chapter 4. Look with me at verse 25, and I'm going to take verses 25 and then the first verse of chapter 5, and I'm going to swap out the word, give it an interpretive rendering for justified. So it reads this way. This is the meaning, doing no harm to what is being said. Romans 4.25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our salvation. Therefore, having been saved by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you kind of lose the idea of salvation when we don't use the word justified in its theological sense often. Uh, we don't even use it in its regular sense uh, too much. You know, maybe you, who ate the last cookie? I did, but I'm justified because, you know, I baked it or whatever. But uh, so, you know, you can lose the punch, the punchline that... Therefore, having been saved by faith, that's what that first verse is telling us. Paul has been talking about faith. He's been 
going out of his way to say, hey, this is not something you're born into unless you're born again into it. This is not something that you deserve. This is not something that excludes everybody who you don't like. This is made available by the death of Christ. You can be saved because of Christ, no matter who you are. And so, having made a big deal about salvation by faith, having made points on the importance of faith, here now is the big deal about the death of Jesus to give us that salvation that he's been talking about. Saved by death. And it is a big deal. The point of faith is to have peace with God. And to have peace with God is to find salvation. And that requires trusting in what Christ has done. It sounds so simple, because it is. However, why isn't making things complicated more complicated? It's too easy to complicate things. And it just seems that there are a lot of folks, you know, you want to say to them, do you love God's word? Is it sufficient? Or do you, are you always snooping around for something else to add to it? Unfortunately, that's how one way heresies creep into the church. To be, to be in love with what God has said is quite um, uh, an achievement. If I, probably not the right word, achievement, but it's, it's a gain for sure. We are never more saved than the moment we put our trust in Christ. It's not like, well, you know, I, I now trust him. I'm more saved than you now because, of you know, I do this or I do that or I've been walking longer than you. No. Well, it's, it's once we're saved that we're in. However, there are rewards to be gained, and that comes through hard work. And we are never accepted because of who we are. We have every reason to not be accepted because of who we are. We are accepted by God because of who, what Christ has done and who God is. Well, who is God? God is love. Yeah, what's that? what does that mean? Well, that's what the Bible one of the grand things about the Bible, Bible is that it explains this, God who is love. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. And just looking at the life of Jesus, how he has compassion, how he had compassion on the multitudes, how he allowed sinners to, to love on him, uh, it just speaks volumes. We have peace with God, he says here in verse 1. And this is what the Bible is about, peace with God. What is the alternative? War. War with God. How would you like a dose of that? Uh, it, it took the violent death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to finally deal with man's sin. And you who uh, are very familiar with Scripture and love God's Word, uh, don't let these truths become dull to you. Because when the pressure's on, you're going to need all of it. There is no higher peace in existence. There's no equal peace in existence than peace with God. And how, how many, unfortunately, only want a peace of God and not the peace with God? Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, there are those that just want what God has to offer, but they're really not interested in what God wants from them. And sin is the culprit. Sin disrupts this peace. It has ruined the rhythm. When God finishes creative work on the sixth day, on the sixth day, this is what the Bible says. This is a commentary on God's creation before sin entered. Then God saw everything that he made, 
And indeed, it was very good. Well, the rhythm was there, but it's about to be lost. Sin entered through man's failure to trust what God said. Man knew what God said, but failed to trust it and did not think out the consequences. And look what it has done. Death, disease, divorce, disaster, all these things by a single act. Sin is a very powerful thing. It is a very big deal. And it, uh, to the antidote has blood all over it, and it's the blood of God. And all believers, uh, we have peace with God, but we don't all have the peace of God. That one you're going to have to fight for. Christ gives us peace with God when we receive him. Paul wrote to the Colossians, and he said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Well, why would he even have to say that if it was automatic? It's not automatic. And it is uh, what we want. We want that peace that surpasses understanding. That's an unnatural, it's a supernatural peace. And it only comes from abiding in Christ. And even then, it comes through hard work by the sweat of your brow. But it is worth it. It is very much worth it. And these words, incidentally, spoken by a man who was often persecuted for Christ, who knew something about uh, those who wanted a piece of his flesh, and never mind the peace of God. So there is the trusting of God, that peace for my salvation. And that's what this first verse is talking about. But then as I referenced in Colossians, there is the peace of trusting in my salvation. I mean, the life that I live based on my salvation, the outflow of my salvation, working it out, not working for my salvation, but working it out, doing something with it. The unbeliever has neither peace with God nor the peace of God. Unbelievers, in one sense, can be decent enough without being holy, without having righteousness, without knowing it. An unbeliever can be compliant with the second table of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is broken up in... Well, I don't want to say broken. That's probably a broken table. That wouldn't be right. It's, it's divided into two sections. The first four verses deal with man and God. The second, the, the next part, the remaining six verses, deal with man's behavior towards man in the presence of God. God is involved in both of them. And so the first table is, you know, you should have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You know, uh, don't take my name in vain. But then the second table comes along and out stealing. You don't kill. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Stop coveting. So again, an unbeliever can be compliant with that last section. You can say, I don't kill. I don't lie. I don't steal. Relative to, to human behavior. Not the ideal of, of, of perfection, of course. None of us can achieve that. We're all sinners. And they can do this without caring for a relationship with God as found in the beginning of those commandments. Have no other gods before me. That, now they're non-compliant with the Ten Commandments. And there is no peace with God. There can be no peace with God if the first portion of, that, of the Ten Commandments are disrupted. Of course, the, the New Testament Sabbath is in Christ now and not on the uh, last day of the week as it was for the Jews. So the result is peace with man, if you are a decent enough person, 
but you're not saved. You may have peace with man, relatively speaking. You can get along with your neighbors and be a decent person. But you still don't have peace with God. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about here, therefore, having been saved by faith, we have peace with God. And if you're not saved by faith, regardless of how you feel, you have not this peace. You are an enemy of God. And that's what we stood and read when we got to verse 9. Moreover, then having now been justified, pardon me, not in verse 9, verse 10. For if we, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Meaning before this reconciliation, before this peace with God, we were his enemies. We were in opposition to him. That cannot benefit anybody. To live and to die in that state is a disaster. It is a catastrophic event. Your eternal state would be sealed and it ain't going to be good. When Solomon wrote, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. He wasn't telling a joke. He was being very serious about that. Knowing and loving God are imperatives. When Jesus was asked, what's the first commandment? His answer was that you shall love the Lord your God. Because the first part of that Ten Commandments cannot be executed without love for God. You have to love the Lord. And the New Testament upholds this. In a drastic way, in a dramatic way. First Corinthians 16. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. That means let him go to hell then. Now, who wants to take that out of the Bible? Who thinks that, oh, that's so mean? You think that's mean? You wait to see the finished product of Satan. And you'll find out what mean is. God is not apologizing. He's telling us like it is. Galatians chapter 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's a death sentence on the soul. This is the Holy Spirit saying to humanity, I want peace with you on my terms. And my terms involved you facing facts about me and about you at the same time and then pursuing compliance. That too much to ask? Is that too much? Is it too much for a divine being who is holy and pure? Is it too much for him to ask for our allegiance to what he has said, what he has revealed? How would I know what God wants unless I know what he says? And this is the big deal of the scripture. And Jesus said to Mary about Mary, she has chosen that good thing and it will not be taken from her. That was she'd sit under the word and not be distracted by being busy with other things at, at there's a time to be busy with things, but then there's a time to sit under the word. Peace with God is by his blood. It costs great blood, divine blood, to attain this peace, and it is not going to be matched. You're not going to have God have his son go to the cross and say, well, you know, there are some other ways you can do this too. He would have opted for those. And so when Paul writes again to the Corinthians, he says, you were bought at a price. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Now let's live like we believe that. 
So the unsaved, they can pursue peace with others and even themselves without pursuing peace with God. It happens all the time. They want to get along with everybody. They want to feel good about themselves. Where does God factor into any of this? Well, for many of them, not at all. Or worse, probably worse, they make up things about God. They're liable on God. So, since man is born in iniquity, from God's standpoint, from God's standpoint, we are born enemies, thus the need to be born again. Don't feel like you've got to apologize for these facts to people who are uncomfortable with them. Don't feel like because somebody wants to, you know, feel good about themselves and you're telling them the truth that you've got to back down from the truth. Not at all. I'm trying to clobber them in the head. But, uh, you know, the truth is cold when you're against it. And if they don't like it, that's going to be on them. So, uh, man is at war with God. And uh, as I mentioned, this is overcome by being born again. Romans chapter 8 Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Nothing peaceful about that. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. There it is. God is saying the natural person, a person just born one time, has a disposition that doesn't get along with heaven, that does not get along with the kingdom of God, that is in opposition to the Savior, that stands in against everything he died for. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. For it is not subject. He is not the the lordship of Christ. You have to come under this lordship. I love this stuff. I love God's word. And I don't want to ever lose sight of how much I love it. And one reason why I love it, not only because I benefit from it, because it's true. In a world where there's so many things that are just a big, fat lie, and people are getting away with it. But we have to back up, I do, have to back up a little bit. And uh, the biblical definition of the wicked, it's important, I think. Biblically, what God is saying is those outside of his son are the wicked. Now, there are degrees of wickedness, of course, but those outside of peace with God are classified as the wicked. Man classifies the wicked in terms of crimes against man. Or uh, just, uh, and it can be Hamas, what they're they're just, uh, that's wicked incarnate. If, If Satan could become human and do some of the things he'd like to do, it would be Hamas. So people like that. And uh, and their advocates, flunkies would go around supporting this kind of wickedness. Um, I don't don't feel any need to apologize for calling wickedness out. Uh, If it offends, if if you're guilty, then repent. The guilty will always be offended until they repent. Well, God classifies the wicked as those against him first and mankind second. Man defines wickedness, again, crimes against man. And God goes beyond that. Those outside of his son's lordship are biblically defined as the wicked. And again, there are levels of wickedness, but either either way, you're going to land you in hell. Isaiah 55, 7, I'm not going to take time to read it, but you can reference that where God points out who the wicked are and then offers them an opportunity to to, uh, be forgiven, to receive mercy. 
And the Bible is loaded with teachings on mercy. So you can't say to God, you're not fair. Who do you think you are? Calling out people and saying this is a standard of wickedness and right. Well, that's what we're seeing in, in, in the world right now. People trying to redefine the definitions of decency and morality and goodness. Calling evil good and good evil, as the prophet Isaiah also pointed out. Through our Lord Jesus Christ and no other. I love Acts 4.12. 4, uh, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. And there are people that are offended by this because they still have the world's standards. And they don't even keep those. Uh, you know, you, you want to be truly a communist, truly a socialist? Then what's in your wallet belongs in my wallet. I mean, we really want to carry this out. Let's, uh, let's be honest about the whole thing. Well, in verse 2, he continues, Through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Well, he's talking now, through whom we have access into heaven. That's what it's all about. What would it profit if, uh, you if you obeyed Christ all your life and didn't get to go to heaven? Heaven is the prize, and uh, it is glorious. Hebrews, and this is, you know, access into heaven. Let, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He's talking in this lifetime. We don't have to get an appointment to meet with God. Nor, nor do you have to be good enough to meet with God. Because, of course, you would not, you'd make it. Sorry, sir. You can't make an appointment for you. You're not good enough. Can you imagine? I cannot. You know, the, in the days of Christ, a self-righteous Jew, and not all of them were, but some were, many were, as a matter of fact, thought themselves secure. After all, they put up a wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the men of the Jews of Israel. And they were smug about this whole thing without realizing that God had put up a barrier between them, the veil and the temple, between the holy place and the holiest of holies. It's almost as though God, says, God was saying to them, I've gotten to you too. You too are not worthy. You, you, you mock others or you belittle them. Uh, that Luke chapter 23 at the crucifixion, we read the veil of the temple was torn in two. Access to God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is available to everyone who hears the gospel. It is available. It's not like, well, you're not good enough or you're not born into this race or that, or whatever. No, this is for anyone. You can come to the throne of God. And you can come without uh, timidity. Boldly come. Understanding that God has paved this way just for sinners who are ready to submit to him. And so by faith into his grace, unearned, that's what grace is, just theologically speaking, grace is unearned, in which we stand. Well, it is to be unmovable in our faith, unshaken. 
So if, if I turn my back to Jesus, by default, am I facing the devil? Yeah. He is not with me, is against me. That's a good thing to remember. Lord, may I not turn my back on you. Even when I'm doing wrong, I'm not turning my back on the Lord. I am like, Lord, this is messed up. Why can't people just stay at home or walk to work? Why do they have to use my road? Anyway, Acts 26, verse 20. Maybe I should help you. God doesn't want you to be patient when you're driving. He wants you to be (laughs) long-suffering. And that is a theological fact. Patience is for things. Long-suffering is for people. And, uh, you know, once you do it one time, you realize, you know, it's right. I am suffering. And it seems like it's a long time. And it's because of this guy here. Uh, you know, sometimes when trouble comes, you know what you've got. Oh, man, this is going to be a long ride. Anyway, Acts 26, verse 22. <laughs> that was the case of Rebecca, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, right? When Esau married those, those uh, Arab women. They were, oh, man, they were such an irritant. It was a long haul for them. Acts 26, verse 22, is Paul talking about his salvation. And the point I want to draw out of this is by faith into this grace in which we stand. Therefore, he said, having obtained help from God, Paul giving his testimony about his his conversion, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. I preach the word of God and I stand there. I don't move away from that. And he continues here in verse 2, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, this is a comprehensive coverage of my eternal state. This kind of hope is not the hope that is one with elements of anxiety. Boy, I sure hope this happens. I hope this bridge doesn't fall underneath me. That's not the kind of hope that's being spoken of here. This is the hope and the Greek bears that out, that this is desires, anticipation, with eagerness. It's a done deal. This, I'm not being anxious about this kind of hope. When Abraham hoped in the Lord, it wasn't that, well, I sure, I'm hoping he can pull this off. No, it was like, well, I can't wait. Peace with God. That reconciles my past with him. That, that fixes the things that I broke. Access by faith, that takes care of right here, right now, the present. I have access, I can boldly go to Christ. After this service, you can boldly go to Christ and say, Lord, that was a good sermon. You can do that. I'll be checking. No, I... <laughs> Anyway, the hope of the glory of God. Now we're talking about the future, the glory, the radiance that um, the fulfillment is not the power of God that takes care of my future. And so when we put it all together, the faith into his, this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Why? Because I got peace with God. How did it get there? Because of Christ. He did this for me. And I was not foolish. I received it. Now there's more to it. Verse Now we go to verse 3 of Romans chapter 5. And not only that, there's more. But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now this is high speech. 
uh, not we glory in tribulation, not because of them. So uh, Paul, in a situation where he's being persecuted, looks for a solution theologically in his understanding of God. What is, is Paul, in this, you know, speaking to himself, what is my role here? My role is to make sure I glorify the Lord and I take what's coming and I don't back down from my faith. And in that is glory. And Satan hates every bit of that. Again, so we can't lose sight of who's writing this. And by this time, by the time he writes this Roman letter, he has, been, he has taken quite a few beatings. He's already written the Galatian letter where he says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. I have had my back plowed enough by the scourges of man to be able to sit here and tell you that my faith works. And if it didn't work, I wouldn't be sitting here telling you. I would have turned my back on Christ long ago, but I did not. I turned my back on my persecutors, and they scourged me. I'll come back to that quote if things go as planned. So, verse 3, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Salvation, this side of heaven, is no escape of tribulation, but through it. And we're supposed to shine in the dark. I don't like this either. I, I, I just want to go to heaven and just be left alone. But that, well, not really, because I'm sure when there's, we get to heaven, there'll be a, you, you will never feel like an outsider. There are so many things that won't be happening in heaven. Um, you, you, in heaven, carbs are good for you. <laughs> Sugar promotes healthy teeth. I mean, it's just going to be rock candy mountain. I mean, it's just... Anyway, the tribulation part... Opportunity to shine in the dark. Second, uh, Philippians chapter 2, writ, written from jail. Children of God with, without fault in the... who We're supposed to be children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the tribulation, the glorying and tribulation that he's talking about. Fine, I'm in jail. I'm in chains, but the gospel's not chained. I can still preach the gospel. So he's looking for solutions, and the solutions are always to glorify God, no matter what's going on. They're just, so, you know, they're just those tribulations that come our way. They're just very hateful things. They're the very things we don't want. But, it, but in that is always opportunity to stand, as Paul said, uh, both in Acts and his testimony, and therefore, take up the armor of God that you may be able to withstand and having all to withstand, stand. Well, I'll quote that in a minute again. He says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Well, that's the problem. Perseverance is time. It's, you know, it's not a flash. You know, it's not like, oh, I just pricked my finger. This is, oh, it's stuck in the vice. This is ongoing. And God uses hardship to develop our faith. Consider this. Talk about things different in heaven, right? Lessons on faith that we get here could never be learned in heaven. You cannot learn about temptation in heaven. You cannot learn so much of your faith except here. And God uses that. And if you say, well, what's the benefit? The Christianity is still here and preaching is the benefit. 
that souls are still getting saved, that heaven is still being populated, that we still pursue love of enemies. Trouble is inescapable. Will it be wasted on me and I become shallow and bitter? Many do. Many churchgoers become shallow and bitter over just things in the church. Or will I become scarred and better? Well, that's what Paul was talking about to the Galatians. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. And he did physically and spiritually also. How many times was Paul heartbroken? What, what do you think? Was there not a sob when he said, Demas has forsaken me? He'd come to love Demas. He was one of the group. He was in Paul's letters. Demas is here. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has gone on to Thessalonica. He's left. He had many of those kinds of experiences. You don't just get one of those in a position that Paul had. You get many of them. And you can either look at people as time bombs or you can just focus on what Christ is doing with you and them the time you're doing it. So Paul, he lists tribulation among the things that cannot separate us from God, from Christ. In chapter 8 and verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, nakedness, perils or sword? None of those things are going to separate me from Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Why? I have peace with God. The main thing stays the main thing. And the miners can do whatever they want. In verse 4, and perseverance, character, and character hope. Is you say, well, now he's lecturing them. So, what's the problem with that? We need to be lectured from time to time. We need to be preached to. You say, well, pastor, who do you get preached by at this stage? I'm, in my earlier years, I, I got to sit under a lot of teachings. But now it's in my preparation time. I read sermons. I love them. They're, they're, I, I like them more than the commentaries. Uh, but uh, anyway, here in verse 4, person, perseverance, time, under pressure. You, we don't persevere. A little kid is not persevering through a chocolate bar. <laughs> it's when the pressure is on and it's going to stay. That's when perseverance kicks in. Uh, I'd rather work in there. Now, you're not going to like this, some of you, but I can't resist it. <laughs> I'd rather work in there than hang in there. I mean, again, just hanging in there implies you're not doing anything but just getting beaten on. But working in there is, yeah, I know I'm getting beaten at this time, but I can still pray for the guy while he's beating me. Well, where do we have an example of that in Scripture? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Nailing him to the cross. Christ was notorious for giving examples. Oh, John 13, I'm going to wash your feet. He's giving, he said, I'm doing this to give you an example. What I'm looking for, service without a tip. Ephesians 6, therefore, take up the entire armor of God, because you're going to need it. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That is, it's your turn to persevere. And having done all to stand, stand. Perseverance buys time in the midst of hardship. And that forms character. 
And got to ask, so Lord, if I live to be 90, do I still need my character formed? I mean, aren't we like done with that part? No. Why? Because others are watching you. That's why. You're still a witness. Even if you become unconscious, you're still a witness. Your life is a witness. And the proof of that is when it's finally, when you finally flatline, it impacts those left behind. Character, how we behave overall due to influence. And what he's talking about in verse 5, we'll get to that later. What would I be without character shaped by the Holy Spirit? What would, what would I be if Christ had not put his hands on me, if I were untouched by God? This is a character uh, point now. I would be clay in the earth, not in the potter's hands. And we like, you know, to be saying, you know, as, you know, I got confused between the deer panting for the water and somehow the potter's wheel. But uh, anyway, I'm going to try to fix that one. Uh, I am the potter, you are the clay. That's how the song goes. And uh, yeah, well, then let him push on you and spin you around. And soak you, because that's what it's going to take to get the job done. Verse, you know, one thing you learn about construction, whatever kind, whether you're in home construction, industrial, is you show up to a job and there are things that are required to get the job done. This is true in all fields, but some is where a plumber, a plumber, you know, hey, my bathroom stopped up. Well, he's going to have to do what the job calls for. And we are to be no different. What does the job call for? Verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Well, I wish he'd pour a little bit more love into some of the other hearts, but uh, sometimes, right? It feels that way. This, again, the hope, when he says, Now hope does not disappoint, this is the hope of anticipation. It is the anti-anxiety or anti-anxious hope. This is a hope that said, I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to be excited about what's coming, and I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to stand my ground in my faith. What others do, that's what they're doing. But I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what my role on the ship is, and I'm going to carry, carry it out. Imagine, if you, imagine an aircraft carrier full of a crew of, several thousand people, and nobody knows what their role is, it would, it would soon be a, a sanctuary for fish. <laughs> anyway, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the first mention of love directly in, in Romans and the first explicit mention of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but everything he's been saying and everything he will say is based on the, this foundation of love and the Holy Spirit. This forming, now he's talking about the forming of Christ's likeness in, uh, within us to resist our own carnality. And we all have it. Here's a question. Is the Holy Spirit inoperative within me because I refuse to love someone? Because I have edited something in God's word? We can't afford to ignore that question. Is the Holy Spirit inoperative 
within me because I refuse to love. Um, Ananias, I want you to go to Paul. He's on a street called Straight. Lord, this guy's been persecuting us. But in the end, Ananias goes. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly. That due time is the prophetic marker that this has been prophesied. It's just in there. It's quite meaningful. But when he says, for when we were still without strength, meaning when you're powerless to save yourself. You're not even worthy to be saved. How, so how are you going to earn anything? Even if you did everything right, you're still not worthy because you are born in iniquity. You're a sinner. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, the ungodly are the undeserving for whom Christ died for. That he died for the ungodly means he died for me. See, there I am in the Bible. I'm the ungodly. I'm, I'm, I'm named twice in the Bible. One as the ungodly, and the other one, Haydad. There's a man named Haydad. All right, I've been sitting on that joke, and the delivery was awful. I got to... <laughs> the confession is funnier than the delivery. Anyway... <laughs> Next time you come across that man's name, huh, what? The dads, that is. Um, anyway, it would have really been nice if there was someone named Hey Mom. But uh, there's some close ones, though. Anyway, if you think that, if to, to believe that Jesus died for those who behaved themselves, if, if you think that, then you don't understand grace. You think like a lawman, not a child of God who's received the message from the scripture. And there are those that think that way. To believe that Jesus keeps all who are strong as his own and abandons the weak reveals your low opinion of salvation, of redemption, of his finished work. So the next time you're weak and you mess up, maybe it's a big one too. Or maybe it's just a medium size, but it's constant. Christ's not abandoning you. 1 Peter 1, verse 5, speaking of the Christians who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That last part where he says, ready to be revealed in the last time, that's heaven. They make it through. Kept by the power of God. So if being told you're ungodly offends you, you understand you've offended God first and more. 1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word ain't in us. That's what it says. And his word is not in us. I've just added the inflection. Matthew 9, but verse 13. But go learn what this means. I love this. is Jesus schooling the teachers. He's telling them, go back to class. But go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The righteous don't repent. They have repented. That's how they became righteous. Everybody is, is unrighteous until they get right with Christ. Verse 7 of Romans 5. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Well, uh, men may give their life for another whom they deem worthy. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's someone that you, you know, you highly respect. Maybe it's a cause. 
um, you know, I'll die for that cause. It's worth dying for. But that's not, that doesn't go far enough. Verse 8, but, but God, and that disjunctive is critical, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Nobody has the right to say, well, you know, I'm not good enough to come to God and at the same time say they believe in the Bible. Because the Bible says, I thought we got past that. We know you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough, but I'll take you. So, but God, going beyond just prophecy, carrying it out, fulfilling the prophecies, dying for the unworthy, this is incomparable love. So when I think of this Roman letter, as I started out, verse 1, have peace with God, and God demonstrates his love towards us, and while I was still a sinner, he saved me. That's why these two verses stand out to me. Christianity would have been the easiest religion to disprove if Christ did not raise, rise from the dead. Uh, they just would have said, well, here's the body. You guys are liars. But they couldn't do that. As a matter of fact, I don't recall anyone knocking them for preaching the resurrection in Jerusalem. They did when they got to Athens and other places. But, I, you know, they, they claimed that Christ rose from the dead. They could have disproved it. And no one did. They just opted out. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, he presented himself, after, uh, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. I, I like many infallible proofs, plural. I like that Luke refers to the cross. He just goes right past it real quick, his sufferings. Doesn't dwell on it. Says, oh, let me tell you how gory it was, how horrible it was. He said, the Holy One suffered. Do you need anything else? Do you need graphics? I don't need special effects. I need to just understand that these things are true. And it says here, his own love toward us. Well, he did not die because we loved him. He did not die because we loved each other. That's humanism, incidentally, that part. He died because he loved us. Love flows downward. It comes from on high to us. Galatians chapter 2. I mentioned I'd get back to this one. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then after that, he'll go on to talk about bearing on his body the marks of Christ. May we not measure God's love for us by what happens to us. Christ did not do that on the cross. Well, he did in a different way. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we know the answer. Because sin was upon him. He was accursed for us. But it was a flash. He took it and he rose and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He turned the empty tomb into a crown. Well, um, in that while we were still sinners, well, his death for sinners, not death to sinners, didn't come to wipe sinners out. Uh, Luke 9, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Well, we have this, you know, these woke people going around. I'm, I'm sure they, are they still woke when they sleep? <laughs> I think they're fat liars. Anyway, uh, 
most of them don't want to hear about God's love for them. They want to try to find a way to hate on God. But uh, the, the question is, the, the statement is, God did not come to destroy you. He came to save you, but he's coming back. And if he, do, if he doesn't come, if you go to him before he comes to you and you ain't right, then you will be destroyed. So, um, don't let us imagine that we can make ourselves worth saving. Something to tell the unbeliever. Don't imagine that we can reject Christ and go to heaven. Something to tell the unbeliever. Don't imagine that there's another way. Something to tell the world. Such guesses are unnecessary. They are useless. And they are insulting to God. And this is why we're here on earth. To get people to face facts. Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. He makes five times in this fifth chapter, we have this much more statement. Four times it's the same Greek phrase. The final time it's an inf- even more emphatic. Uh, but it, uh, Paul is saying, everything he's saying here, these are superlatives, they're high things. Having been justified by his blood, that is saved by his death. Saved by death of God incarnate. You know, the Catholics think that because he's a son, he has to be subject to the mother. See, their whole theology is wrong. They don't understand that that's to toss away the humanity of Christ. At the wedding of Canaan, when he said, woman, what does that have to do with me? He was letting everybody know, I am not under her authority. And what I'm about to do is love, but is not because I am subject and the same thing with his, uh, uh, as the son to the father, he was subject to the father in his humanity. But once he returned to his eternal state, equal with God, uh, with the Mary thing, uh, they, they missed the whole point that, yes, as a child he was subject. But once he became a man, uh, and, and that, that was the end of that. So you, you cannot apply natural things to the supernatural without thinking them through. Colossians 1, verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Nobody could have done that. Mary could not have done that. Uh, And I think Mary is one of the greatest women in the Bible. For what she had to put up with, the accusations, uh, it was just quite remarkable. But um, uh, but that's it. She's still a human, still a sinner like the rest of us. Uh, But uh, we have to be careful. We don't turn on Mary because others have missed it. Anyway, we got to finish this up. Unfortunately, you've got places to go, and which you shouldn't. You should tell your friends, I'm blocking four hours for sermon time Sunday. (laughs) God will laugh at you for that. No, he won't. Where am I? We shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, he's talking about salvation. Listen to this. Uh, Our salvation removes past, present, future sins. Covers it all. Comprehensive. At the cross of Christ, there's not stamped on it, I'll forgive you this time. That would be terrible. And here's a scripture verse to go with that. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That is, the sanctified ones are those separated and living the life, but failing, but perfected forever. Sometimes I feel no one knows forgiveness and mercy and grace more than me. 
because no one has been forgiven or loved more than me by God. Every Christian should be able to say that. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But the Satan's not going to be comfortable with that. So he's going to harass you. And I can, you can talk back and say, you caused all this, you fool. You are the fool. Having been in heaven, thinking you were equal with God, and now you're a devil. Don't talk to me, the accuser of the brethren. Uh, just, you know, better still, just talk to the Lord. Uh, it is all saying, when the devil rings your doorbell, ask the Lord to answer the door. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, enemies, and therefore amongst the wicked without Christ. And if God saved us while we were enemies, he will keep us now that we are his friends. Yet this is hard to get in the heads of some Christians. They're always worried about their salvation. How about, how about this? How about start worrying about a fat lip? If you bring that up one more time. You know, that's, you couldn't do that. Uh, they might give you one. Anyway, Christ has pardoned the sinner and he has condemned the sins of the sinner at the same time. He's never said, I'm going to love you and I'm going to forgive you. But your sins aren't that bad. It's I hate the sin, but I can get you out of it because I love you. And this is, who else is doing anything like this? Who else addresses sin? Nobody comes close to addressing sin like Christ. Uh, verse 11, and not only that, is more. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That's the peace. He's fixed this. Now, it's the reconciliation because that means there was a problem. You don't reconcile when there's no problem. If two are walking together and they agree, no need for reconciliation. But if they don't agree and they start having a problem, now reconciliation is on the table. So just that insertion of that word says there's a problem. And uh, when, when Adam sinned, one of the first, the first two things that hit Adam and Eve were shame and fear. And we pick it up in Genesis 3, verse 10, when God comes looking for Adam and Eve after the sin. And he's, he, he's looking for Adam. Adam's the head. Adam, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Well, we've been reconciled. We don't have to fear God. We boldly come into his presence, not irreverently, not losing sight of who we are and who he is, but we need to understand what it takes to get things done for the glory of the king, and I cannot do that if I do not understand how much he loves me, what has gone into it, and the outcome is peace with God. At that moment, Adam did not have peace with God. He had fear. And God has reconciled us. So what excuse remains? Well, the lust of the flesh. I close with this verse, First John. I did want to get finished in 20 minutes this morning. Just, just so you know. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And you say, well, I, I don't always do God's will. Well, that's where you need the grace. But I always stay with God. Nonetheless, that proves you've got the grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, just a very powerful to have peace with you is just very meaningful that you've demonstrated your love. You've shown it to us. What, what more is there to happen? You demonstrate your love for us even when we were sinners. But we who believe are now friends and you love us no less. But there are others. There are those whom we love who have gone into the world. They're very difficult to reach, to speak to, to share these truths. But your hope springs eternal. And our hope for opportunities to share Christ and see converts, may it, may it always not only threaten hell, but eventually bear great and lasting fruit. If you've been listening and you have not opened your heart to Christ, maybe you've listened to the world, you've listened to Antichrist, you've listened to those formerly educated by the world, but you've not listened to God. And therefore you have not peace with God. You can change that with a decision. You can choose life or you can choose death. It's up to you. If you would like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have peace with God, the God who demonstrates his love, then say this to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm one of those whom you've died for. And I ask you to forgive me for sinning against your will, your commandments, your holiness. I ask that this day, from this day forward, that I would be your child, that I would have peace with you, that you would be not only the savior of my soul from a coming judgment, but also the Lord over my life, all the days of my life. I give my life to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made this confession, may they not back away from it, May they stand up to it. May they have no shame in making it known. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.